After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, send no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. All right. So my name is Nate. Glad to welcome you here. It's a new city. Uh, good to be the pastor here, and I'm really glad you are here. Hey, I don't know if you've been doing the link guide. I've been tuning in to the link guide, and if you haven't, uh, I can just tell you that it's not too late. Uh, to be practicing Lent, to be reading the Word of God. It's not ever too late to jump into the, uh, to the Word and to be starting some practices that are good for your faith. This last week's practice in Lent was a practice of fasting. And while I was fasting and praying, I was really sort of tuned in to, like, God, what do you want to say to me? Uh, what are some things I need, as a pastor, that I need to hear? What are some things that, um, you know, I need to be paying attention to? And I'll, I'll just tell you that uh, I, I think that, well, I mean, let me just say it this way. Uh, I don't think you know how messed up you are. <laughs> so, you know, the Lord was kind of like, and I, and I say that because I know I'm not, I don't know how messed up I am. And uh, the word was just like kind of sort of pouring out uh, towards me as I was like kind of thinking through and fasting and praying. And, and one of the key ideas that I came up with, just a kind of a, something that came to mind, and not everything that comes to my mind is from God, but this is one of the things that came to mind, I think inspired by the word of God, I think inspired by a moment of fasting and a moment of praying. But community is a fuel humanity is meant to run on. That was the big idea. That community is a f the fuel that humanity was meant to run on. Uh, you, you don't have to look much further than the early pages of the Bible. Without Eve, Adam was not okay. And what I've realized that throughout the year of, now a year, of going into isolation and a year of kind of separating ourselves from another, a year of experiencing distance from other human beings, um, we're not okay. Uh, people are not okay. And they're responding in ways that are not okay because they were meant for community. That community is fundamental, listen, fundamental to the sanity of humanity. And I have met so many people who've said, I think I'm going nuts. And I'm thinking, you probably are. Like, you probably aren't going a little nuts because you were not made for isolation. This is not how God made you. Before the beginning, listen, this is what was before the beginning. Before God said, let there be light, before God separated the land from the sea, there was a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in perfect community. And then when God created Adam and Eve, he made sure that in this creation story, you heard it loud and clear, it is not good for humanity to be alone. 
And God said, I want, I want you to know that it's, it's important. Community is important. Being near people who love you and care for you is important. It's so important. It's fundamental to who you are. And you, can, you cannot achieve levels of sanity without it. Like you, to be sane, to be operating in your highest capacity as a human being, you need to be in community. What does that have to do with our text today? I want you to hear me, okay? Because a lot of people right now feel unseen in their pain. Because what isolation does, it not, only elim- it not only removes you from community, it removes you from that sharing of a common story. And so people don't have this sort of shared common story, and people are wondering, am I the only one experiencing this this way? Am I the only one having this particular side effect? Am I the only one experiencing this particular kind of anxiety or depression or sadness in light of the year that we've been through? And, and they wonder, like, does anybody even see me? And I want you to know Jesus sees the people who feel unseen. He sees the people who feel unseen. This is what struck me immediately in my study this week. I just read John 5, 5, one man. Now what's interesting about this verse, like I've I read through this passage, and I, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, every passage that I read in preparation for study isn't a passage that jazzes me, okay? And I was like, great, another healing story, mm, you know? And then I read it again, and I read it again, and I just kept reading one man, I know for one man, this was not just a healing story. It's not just another story. There was one man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus, listen, saw him, saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The man goes on to say, look, I got nobody to help me. In other words, I'm alone. 38 years of being an invalid, I'm alone, no one sees me anymore, and then Jesus picks him out in the crowd and goes, I see you. And if you feel unseen today, I want you to know that Jesus sees you. And I'm going to let you know, the Holy Spirit will reveal that to you if you want him to. He sees you. He sees you. He knows your story. He knows your pain. He knows your sadness. He knows your depression. He knows your anxiety. Like, he sees you. And even though you feel like no one in the world sees you, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he sees you. Sees you. Look, our relationship with God, our relationship with people, uh, our relationship with nature itself is all under a curse. That's what the Bible teaches. This man's experiencing the curse in its extreme. Not only is, is nature itself working against him, he's been an invalid for 38 years, he's also all alone. So he's alone, he's been an invalid for 38 years, he's experiencing all of the effects of the fall. Distance from God, distance from other people, distance from nature itself. He's experiencing all of the effects of the fall. Our relation with God, people, nature, is all under the curse. But Jesus is at work. He's at work fixing it. Here's, the big, here's one big idea for you, and I want you to hear it. Jesus is at work. He's at work. Right now, at work. He's at work in your neighborhood. He's at work in your home. He's at work in your city. He's at work. But Jesus answered them when they were like going, what's going on with you, man? Like, why are you healing people? Why are you healing people on the Sabbath? And the religious people always had issues with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, my father is working until now, and I am working. I'm working. I'm working even on the Sabbath. I'm working. 
So that begs the question, what work is Jesus doing? How would you identify it? If you're saying, hey, Jesus is working, okay, well, tell me what the work he's doing. What, what is the work? Well, it's displayed here in our passage. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one. To put me into the pool when the water stirred up, the belief was that this particular pool, when the water stirred up, it had healing properties. You got in, you could be healed. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. This is the work that Jesus is doing. Healing. Healing work. There's somebody who needs a healing work. Right? There's somebody who needs a healing work in their marriage. There's somebody who needs a healing work in their singleness. There's somebody who needs a a healing work in their loneliness. What work does Jesus do? He does healing work. Miracle healing work. That's what he does. And every momentary healing by Jesus points to the eternal healing through Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says about our reality, and you might be feeling this today. You might be feeling it, okay? Here's what you might be feeling. The creation itself will be set free from its, listen, bondage to corruption. Let's just say the whole world is imprisoned, enslaved to death, decay and to death. In other words, everybody is imprisoned to a reality that life is falling apart, and you might be like, just feeling that imprisonment. You might be feeling it today, like in your life. You might be feeling like, my life is falling apart. I'm in prison to this life that's falling apart, and I don't know where is freedom going to come from. Like, who's going to set me free? The creation itself will be set free for its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Well, Jesus is setting it free. In the words of Revelation 21.5, he's making all things new. He's making all things new. He's renewing what's broken. So what is the work that Jesus does? Jesus is at the work making all things new. And there may be something that you you need to be made new in your life. A place where death is there and it needs a resurrection. A place where sin has taken root and you need redemption and rescue from that sin. And you need deliverance. But there are two objections to Jesus, and they're common. They're, I mean, they're common objections. Uh, they were common in Jesus' day, and they're common in our day today, too. And once you see the objections to Jesus healing on the Sabbath, doing his work on a day that religious people had set aside for resting. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They're like, hey, you're breaking the rules, Jesus. Uh, don't you see all of us religious people doing the religious things, and you're being all over there irreligious? But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more, verse 18, to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, listen, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And the two objections were these. They're like, hey, Jesus, he's not religious enough. He's just not religious enough. He's not obeying the religious rules. He's not getting in line with the religious leaders. He's just not religious enough. And then there are those who are irreligious often who will look at Jesus and go, man, you're claiming to be God. You're way out of bounds. You might put it this way in our current context. This is the way maybe sometimes you might feel it, uh, the tension or the objections of Jesus that religious people don't like Jesus breaking the rules. 
And irreligious people don't like Jesus being worshipped. But Jesus is going to both break the rules because he's a God who cannot be tamed. He's good and he's sovereign, but he cannot be tamed. And he will demand to be worshipped. And that rubs people. It rubs people the wrong way. You know, religious people sometimes get it wrong. And because, you know, in America, the biggest of the religions is Christianity, sometimes Christians get it wrong. I just want you to know that religion says that you are saved by what you do. But that is not the message of Christianity. Christianity says that you are saved by what Jesus has done. That's the message of Christianity. You don't get saved because you did the good thing. You get saved because Christ did for you what you could not do for your own. Live the perfect life. And when he died his death on the cross, he paid the penalty for all of your sins and all of your shortcomings. He buried them away in the tomb. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. And he's given you the opportunity to receive life in him. That's the message of the gospel. It's not what you have done. It's what Christ has done on your behalf. Religion is all about the right rules, but Christianity is all about a right relationship with Jesus. And so it's not about coming and obeying all the right rules and getting your behavior in line. It's not about making better Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. It's turning dead people to living people. That's what the gospel of Jesus is. And mere religion is the practice. Listen, mere religion is the practice of a personal salvation through personal effort. It's the idea that I can receive salvation by being good enough. Now, you don't have to go to church to be religious. Because you can be trying to find your salvation by being really good at your job. Or you can be trying to find your salvation by being really good as a parent. You can try to find your salvation by being really good in a marriage or being really good in some relationship. You can find your identity in all kinds of things where you try to work really hard to go, you know what, this is the thing that's going to save me. But what happens is, when you buy into religious effort, like salvation through religious effort, when you buy into that narrative, you will, you will, you can't resist it, it's a byproduct, you will become a prideful person whether in your success or your failure. Because in your failure, be like, I'm trying really hard to prove myself, but I can't seem to prove myself, and all you can think about is how you failed. And your mind is never free from you because you just are meditating all the time on your failures, all the time, all the time, all the time, meditating on your failures. It's like you don't believe that Christ has died on the cross for your sins, has redeemed you from all of your failures and given you his righteousness as a gift. It's almost like you've forgotten that. But pride can also take root when you're successful. You can say, oh, I, I overcame my alcoholism, all you guys are. I overcame this challenge in my life, you guys are. I overcame this, and you guys, and, and, and there is a pride that can take root when you, when you overcome something or you do something great in your life. There's a pride that can take root, and you find, start to find your identity in being better than other human beings. And then you lose sight of the fact that the cross of Christ exists because you're a sinner. And you lose sight of the fact that, man, your sins deserve death. You see, pride is the primary symptom of a pursuit of personal salvation through personal effort. And what it does is it blinds you to the needs of other human beings. It blinds you to the needs of other human beings because all you can think about is you. Whether in your success or in your failure, all you can think about is you. Listen to what happens in John 5, 9. And, and what you should be asking yourself the question, that if this really happened, if this were true, and it is true, that a man who's notoriously, I mean, he's known, he's 38 years he's been laying there. It's not like people don't know him. 38 years, he's, he's been healed. 
He's, up, he's taken up his mat and he's walking on the Sabbath, which is a technical violation of the religious rules. But, you know, if Jesus heals you and says, take your mat up, you're taking your mat up and you're walking. And he takes up his mat and he's walking. What kind of conversation do you think you would be having with somebody who has just received a dramatic healing? And at once, the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. And now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to be taking up your mat. But he said to them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who who is the man who said it to you? Take up your bed and walk. And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And what's striking to me is people aren't saying, hold up, wait a minute, you're walking. Hold up, wait a minute, you've been healed. The religious people are saying, who broke the rule? I want to know who broke the rule. We've we got to find the rule. Who broke the rule? You see, br- pride will blind you to the personal needs of others because all it can see is your own personal needs. Now, Listen. Jesus says, and I think this is, if there's one verse to meditate on, this is what, this would be one to meditate on. Jesus says, go and learn what this means. In other words, go meditate on this and spend some time on it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire love of the neighbor, not religious effort. I desire a transformed life that is loving God, loving the neighbor, fulfilling the law, not mere religious effort. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, when I kind of start to get going in this direction, I have to sometimes hit the brakes and say, we've got to make sure we understand the gospel again, okay? Because the gospel isn't merely about showing mercy. It's not merely about that. The gospel is not merely about saying, hey, you're not saved by your good effort, and then here's a message about being good and your effort and loving other people. Like, that's not the message. I want you to hear it loud and clear. And this comes in the following verses, not the verses that we read, but when Jesus is explaining what he's doing in the healing work. But I want you to hear it. The gospel is not about making bad people good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is about making dead people alive. That's the gospel. The gospel is not, not about you becoming, you know, a better member of the Kiwanis Club as you know, that's not what we are. We're not a club where we, turn, we, we do good things. We're a group of people who've been radically saved by Jesus. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he has made us alive. He's made us alive. That's who we are. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. And when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And so Jesus will be both the the judge of sin but also the redeemer from our sins. That's who he is. Like he sits in that seat and he's perfect in, in all of his ways in that way. But listen, Jesus does this. He calls dead people out of the tomb and makes them alive. That's what he does. And if you want to be alive, then all you got to do is just say yes to Jesus. So Jesus is at work. That's the work he's doing. 
And I want you to just hear me on this. And this is, I really want you to hear, please. I don't know how to say this well. I don't know how to say this perfectly. But I'm just going to say, we can rest because Jesus is working. And somebody, somebody here is tired. Somebody watching is tired. Somebody's weary. Somebody's worn out because they're trying to do the work that only Jesus can do. And there is a work that only Jesus can do, and that's the saving work. That's the redeeming work. That's the rescuing work. And no amount of effort is going to save you from your sins and from your past and from your narrative. Only Jesus can do that. And it is a wearisome, wearisome effort to be trying to seek salvation through your effort. And we can rest because on the Sabbath, Jesus was working. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. He's saying, I'm going to explain to you what I did, what I did, and why I healed this man. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus is saying, hey, I see what the Father's doing, and that's what I do. I see what the Father's doing, and that's what I do. So when you see me doing things, that's what the Father's doing. What is the Father doing? The Father's undoing death. More accurately, he's undoing sin, and it's consequence death. He's undoing it. And Jesus does, listen, listen, Jesus undoes what is killing you by being killed for you. That's what Jesus does. He undoes what's killing you by being killed for you. Another way of saying it is that Jesus saved us from the violence of this world by becoming the object of the violence of this world. And in verse 18, you can see it right here. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, people were out to kill him. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was claiming to be equal with God, claiming to have the authority to call people who were in their tombs out and to be alive. Look, I want you to just, Jesus does the work you can't do, so you can rest. Jesus does the work that you can't do, so you can rest. Let me just, I'll press in, okay, and just be honest with yourself. You will not be able to add an hour to your life through your anxiety about life. You can't do it. You can't add, you can't add a second to your life with your anxiety about life. But Jesus, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, can give eternal life. That's what he does. That's what he does. And so you can rest. Because the real work, the big work, the final work, it's done. Jesus done it. He's done it. The redeeming work, he's done it. It's done in him. Jesus is at work. We can, re- look, we can rest because Jesus is at work. Look, to find a work, now this is crazy. To find a work, listen, to find a work that produces rest, ask yourself this question. Because there is a work that produces rest. Where is Jesus already working and how can I join in there? But this is what you need to do. God can promise you Jesus is working. 
Jesus is at work right now restoring the world lost and broken by sin. That's what he's doing. Jesus is putting right now, right now, the kingdom reality on display for the world to see. When Jesus began his ministry in Mark, he said, hey, here's my gospel. He came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, what was he saying? The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It can be experienced right now. And so what are we doing? You want to find the work that gives rest? Let me show you the work that gives rest. We should be putting the kingdom reality of Jesus on display for our neighbors to experience. Saying this is what it looks like. His, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. This is what it looks like. This is his kingdom reality. The Bible says you are the body of Christ, all of you, each, each of you, individually members of it. You're the body of Christ. In other words, Christ came, he lived the life for you, he died the death for you, he was buried in the tomb, he rose again, he sent to the right hand of God, he said now you're my presence in the world, you're my body in the world. The things that I was about doing, showing what the Father was up to, now you're about doing, showing what I've been up to. Putting the kingdom reality on display. And so you're praying, Matthew 16, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You're praying that, going, yep, kingdom reality, right now, the kingdom presence of Jesus, right now, the rest that he brings, right now, I want to bring it to everything that I'm doing, his rest. Now, there's a phrase we've used at New City for a number of years, and I really do believe this to be true. Now, I've already spoken to the truth of the gospel, and I'm not calling you to moralism here, but I want you to know that when you've been rescued and you've been saved by Jesus, you become not only a messenger of the good news about Jesus, you become the presence of that good news. You become a part of the kingdom reality for the world to experience and to see. And when we become good news to the city, listen, the city will be open to hearing the good news about Jesus, and I believe that to be true. Let me just say it this way. If you commit to be good news, you will start good news conversations wherever you go. People are asking. This guy's been healed. He's walking around with his mat. What's going on? People are asking. And when you show up in the city, guess what? People ask. When you show up in your neighborhood, people ask. Always be prepared, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect, but be ready because people are going to ask if you start living the good news. Here's what we've challenged New City to be, okay, over the years. If this is new to you, uh, this may be the first time you're hearing it, it's okay. Listen, this is what we've challenged New City to be. We want New City Church to be full of people living questionable lives. Like, full of people living questionable lives. Calling into question the good news of Jesus Christ. Why, why, why are you living with such, with such Sabbath rest in your work? Because Christ is working. Why, why are you dedicated to the renewal of the city and, to, and to, to caring for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized? Because Jesus is at work doing those things. And we saw him at work and we said, hey, can we join you? And we jumped into the work of Jesus because that's the work he's doing. And when you start doing that work, people go, there's something different about you. There's something unique about you. You've got a certain something going on. Tell me more about that Jesus you serve. That's the essence of our Be Good News initiative that we started a year ago today, believe it or not, a year ago. Now, Be Good News is about saying, yes, we're going to be good news, but we want to start good news conversations all over the city by being a good news people. And it's been a year, and I want to give you an update. And this is going to sound like a commercial in the middle of a message. That's not what it is. It's preaching, it's preaching the message, our identity as a community. And so sometimes you just want to know, what am I a part of? 
So I'll do a little how it started, how it's going. I was going to find a little meme for this, but I couldn't find any good ones that were clever. So I just, you know, we're going to do a little how it started, how it's going. Let me tell you about how it started. We, we called New City Church to commit to be good news for people in the city with their lives a year ago. We, we got together as a church and said, let's do it. All of us right now commit to be good news for people in this city with our lives. What would that look like if we did that? Look, when Jesus was forming uh, the, the New City message, the New City mission as a church, when Jesus was putting us together, we started asking this question, how can we offer the good news solutions, or how can we offer good news solutions to the bad news problems in our city? And we believe that for every bad news problem, there is a good news, capital G, capital N, good news solution to those issues, a gospel solution. And for New City, we think, you know, it's going to start here by, by just being committed to being for people, because people matter to God. And in the city, because where we live, it matters to God. Albuquerque, New Mexico matters to God with our lives because God's going to call us to live as he lived. Jesus says, hey, do you see? <laughs> see what the Father's doing? That's me. That's what I'm doing. And you know what Jesus said in John 20, 21? He said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Uh, Tim, uh, Timus and Chester in their book, Everyday Church, this was formational for us in the early days of New City, this book, he said, it's not simply that ordinary Christians live good lives that enable them to invite friends to evangelistic events. Our lives are the evangelistic events. Our life together is the apologetic. We're putting on display, this is what Jesus is like. And, and New City, we're not about just like knowing deeply. We're about living deeply. Like Jesus is out there restoring and redeeming and healing, and that's the stuff we're doing. Along with Jesus. I mean, he's doing the work. We're just there. We're helping. So that's what Be Good News is all about, about being for people in the city with their lives. And, and if you're watching online, if you want to look it up later, you can go to begoodnews.church. You can find out all the information there about this initiative. And we've got lots of videos and updates that are there. But I just want to give you a kind of quick flyby, just kind of where we started, and then I'm just going to tell you how it's going. So we, we set a goal for $2.8 million. That was our goal, uh, to, to do some things significant to serve our city, care for others, particularly children in our city. And so in the four people category, that was a big sort of budget item in this whole initiative. We wanted to do some things. It's hard to see on the screen. I know if you're in person today, but I want you to just kind of hear what they are. Like we, we said, hey, we want to expand our capacity to serve kids. We want to expand our capacity to care for our student ministry. We want to hire somebody to help with community groups and help with administration within our, our church community. We want to expand our programming capacity. And so that's how it started. So let me just tell you how it's going. In the last year, during the global pandemic, this is how it's going. All right, we hired Pastor Christian, who's now overseeing groups for New City, and he's full-time overseeing groups, taking uh, things away from Roger. Roger was doing student ministry and community groups, and Pastor Christian's overseeing our online experience. He's overseeing lots of other areas of our ministry, and he's also uh, overseeing our community groups, getting people connected in community, because we were not made to be alone, and so we're going to prioritize that as a church and say, that's what we're going to do. And then Pastor Roger now is full-time dedicated as a student pastor because our students matter to God, and students are, are you know, and we, we really do believe that we can cause the greatest ripples and make the greatest impact by strategically caring for children in our city. And then we've increased programming online and in person. We've increased online and in person. I mean, we never had an online ministry like we do now. And then we had, this was one of those pandemic things. We increased programming. And I want you to know what we're also doing now. Over the next coming weeks, we're going to be bringing Pastor Amanda up from uh, half time to three quarter time to better serve our kids both in person and online. 
because we aren't yet ready to undo all of our online stuff for kids, and we, we, we want to make sure every kid is cared for at New City, but we're also going to begin increasing in-person gatherings for kiddos. So we are preparing for our first phase of in-person kids' gatherings while continuing our online kids' gatherings. Now, I want to just walk, I just want to invite you to the problem, okay? Sometimes you like wonder, like, why aren't they doing kids yet? Why aren't they having kids' ministry yet? You know, we're in yellow. We can have kids' ministry. And, you know, we're, we, part of the initiative is getting a new space. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. But this space, we were, like, operating at 150% or more capacity with our kids' ministry during uh, the last seasons. I mean, it was really great. That's why we launched a Thursday night service. We had two services on Sunday morning prior to the pandemic, a Thursday night service to alleviate space. We tried to do some things to move classes around so we could alleviate space because we had so many kiddos coming. But at Yellow, at 33%, using the, the, like, not like the most conservative or not the most liberal, but a really reasonable number of capacity, we, we have capacity for like, you know, 10 kids uh, in a service on a Sunday. And it's just really, really hard because you have to have two adults because we're not going to, you know, follow, you know we're, we're going to be safe with our kiddos. And you've got to have two adults in the room. And that was just like a, the challenge. But I just want you to know what's coming up. At Green, we're going to start in-person Kid City for two-year-olds through pre-K. That's going to be the first phase, kind of coming into it. Now, on Sunday mornings and elementary-only events, we're going to start doing to kind of care for our elementary kids because kids matter to us. And we believe that we can make the greatest impact and cause the greatest waves by strategically caring for children in our city. And that is why we had, as the middle category of not just being for people but being in the city, we said, you know, we want to increase our unique presence in the city. And we gotta, we got to do this so we can better care for kids. And you can, if you know anything about New City's history, starting Shine Partnership and starting the Collective Student Ministry and all the things that we've done, we've put our money where our mouth is when it comes to caring for kids in our city. We have done a lot of work to care for kids in our city. But I want you to know that we, we, we're moving forward on this space. We've got the space. We've purchased it over the summer. But we're not looking to create a space for just weekend gatherings. We're looking to create a space that's hospitable to our city throughout the week. That was the goal originally, and that's still the goal now. So that's how it started. We said, hey, we've got, got to commit some dollars to get a new space. How's it going? Well, we purchased the 4,700 space over the summer. We plan on moving in at some point later this year. And you can find out more about it. I'm going to just tease you with this. You can find out more about it in the worship gathering coming up on March 16th in person at the space at 630. And we're going to tell you some more about the vision of the building, how we can use it, and we're going to pray over it. But here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing that God said to me this week about this prayer gathering hear me okay hear me if you've been if you've been one of the, i've been one okay if you've been one of those you've been looking at the state of new mexico lately and you've been going you know and you ah. here's what the spirit said to me I, mean, I believe it was the holy spirit and this i'm just i mean it hit me I hope it'll hit you if revival in new mexico were dependent on your prayer life would it be happening So next time you're, you know, kicking, you wish, you know, New Mexico. This is what the Spirit said to me. If revival in New Mexico were dependent on your prayer life, would it be happening? And so I was like, we got, we got to call the whole church to pray. And so we're going to be at the new space, 4700. We're going to gather together. We're going to pray. We're going to cast some vision for how we're going to use the space. We're going to pray together. It's going to be kid-friendly. It's going to be interactive. I'm really excited about it, so I hope you'll be there. All right, with our lives. That was the final category of our two-year 
sort of desire, budget, just things that we want to do as a church, the impact we want to make. So we, with our lives, this is about planting churches internationally, planting churches for uh, those who are unreached around the world, about our unique presence in our city and caring for our ministry partners. So that's how it started. How's it going? We planted Luke I in Myanmar to reach the unreached, and he's reaching the unreached. Reaching people who are, who are unreached in the world in Myanmar. We've given significant dollars and time to our local ministry partners. We have many around the city and many who are focused on serving kids in our city. And we've had many commit personally to be good news for, uh, with their lives every day and, and with their everyday lives for their neighbors and their friends. And first, I just want to say something about Luke I. I got an update this morning, so I added this to my notes rapidly this morning. But Luke I just sent a, a, an email update about what they're doing in Meguk. And uh, he, he, the... the the photo here is of five people who've come to Christ recently in their ministry hearing the good news of Jesus. And these are people who never had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus without Luke being there. And in our, our resources, planting a church for people who are, who, who are on Joshua Project, 0% reached with the good news of Jesus. And by God's grace, we're, we're reaching them. In a country right now that's in the middle of a coup, and the, and the, and the stress and the strain is on, you know, are we going to be able to go? Are we going to be able to help? Are we going to be able to serve? The last time a coup uh, took over the government, it was 38 years before people from the outside were able to get in to help, in, help the church in, uh, in Myanmar. So you can be praying for the persecuted Christians there and the people who are on the tip of the spear sharing the good news about Jesus. But it's, it's fun talking about Luke and the ministry he's doing, but I want to talk to you about you and the ministry you're doing. If you're in person today, there's on your seat a personal response card, and I want you to kind of grab that and pick that up. And if you're online, you can easily go to our app right now, and you can find this personal respo- response card on the app. Now, at the very beginning of our series, we said, hey, listen, if this is for everybody, it's not for anybody, and we've got to make sure that you know that God's called us all to be good news. We're all committing to be good news for people in the city with our lives. So on the back of the card, it just says for, in, and with, and I'm going to ask you the questions right now to consider. There was one man. Jesus saw him, went to him, and offered him healing. He had no friends to help him out. You're the body of Christ. Body of Christ. As the Father sent me, John 20, 21, so I'm sending you. So for who is God sending you? And I just want you to think, for what person? In is a place you live, work, or play. So think about where you live. Think about where in your neighborhood. Think about where you work. Think about where you play. For whom is God calling you to be good news for in a place that you live, work, or play, and with what resource? With what resource? Last year, I wrote on my card four pastors in the city with my network capacity. I just like to be around people. This past Wednesday, I invited some pastors to go play golf, and one of the pastors, with tears in his eyes, said, I don't think we know how hard this has been this last year. I just don't think we know. And he was wrestling with that personally. I just don't think we know. And I I feel, this is my vibe, and I want to be here for you, and I just want you to know, I want to be here for you, but my vibe is action-oriented. I can't help myself. 
So I'm going, you know what? I don't, I don't know how hard it's been for my friends and for my neighbors and for the people who are close to me and the people at my workplace. I just don't know how hard it's been. Maybe I should start asking. And what would happen if Christian people filled with the Holy Spirit who've received the rest that Jesus brings just went out into the world this week and said, you know what? This has been really hard. Christ has sent me to be here for you. What difference that would make in someone's life. So this is not just hyperbole. If you're online, you pick it up in the app and fill it out or print up the card if you want to. Um, I really want you to, this is for your own benefit. Write it down, make a commitment, put it someplace. So you go, you know what? Christ has been good news for me. I'm going to be good news for others. And what does that look like? All right, so 2.8, well, that was the goal. That was the, that was the goal for two years. And so for the last 12 months, that's how it started. How's it going? Okay. Uh, well, I want you to know, the last 12 months, in the last 12 months, New City has had $1,042,000 in income, and that's a praise God thing, right? It's a praise God pandemic, praise God thing, and we are on track. We're on track to where God wants us to be, and I'm going to ask you a question now, and I want you this question to sink in, and I want it to go real deep inside of you, because when good things happen, you always have to ask this question, who gets the glory? You know, it'd be easy. It'd be easy for us in this moment to go, man, aren't we great? It'd be easy in this moment to say, aren't you great? Aren't we great? Let's feel good about us. But I'm going to tell you, it's all about Jesus, always, always about Jesus. He gets the glory. Uh, John 5, the section anyway about this miracle ends this way. And he, was, and he has, God has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And Jesus is the one who does it. He's the one who does it. He's the one who has the power of life and death. He's the one who does it. He's the one who's doing the, the real work. So big ideas today is Jesus at work. He is. I think he's at work here at New City. He's at work. And we can rest because Jesus is at work. We can rest because he's working. And if you want to find the work that produces rest, ask yourself, where is Jesus already working? And join him there. And you're going to find a, you're going to find a work that gives rest. Yeah, the Bible says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So Father, I want to just confess that I, uh, I want glory more than I should, and I often seek salvation through my work and my effort. And so my prayer today is that you would just allow me to receive your complete and finished work, just, just personally, just receive it all over again. And realize that I, I, you know, that my salvation is not dependent upon my effort, but what you have done for me, and I believe it. And for everybody who's a part of New City today, I just pray you would help us all to believe it. Um, that we can have rest. So if, if there's anybody today right now, just like hearing this prayer, who's anxiously working to prove their worth or value in the world, Lord Jesus, would you just free them from that anxiety? Let them know the work is done. Give us rest in you, Father. Just give us rest. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, every, every week in person services, we take communion in the service, and so we got tables in the back and in the front today, and, and those tables are little uh, prepackaged communions, and you can take during these next few songs, you can go up anytime that you want and grab uh, one of those uh, little prepackaged communion setups, and when you take that top foil off, you'll see the little... We'll, we'll just say the bread-like substance is in there, right? And so we'll say, you know, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And, you know, you got to hear, you got to hear this from Jesus all right, on the cross. You got to hear it. He's on the cross, and what does he say? He says, it's finished. The work is done. It's finished. And you might just go you know, to Jesus and go, you know what? I'm living like it's not finished. I'm living like I still got to do something to contribute to my salvation. I'm not living like it's finished. And you might just break the body today and go, Jesus, it's finished. I confess it's finished. The work is complete. And you take the cup, remember his blood shed for you, and you just go, you know what, Jesus, you, you saved me, you redeemed me, it's finished. Help me to leave full of your grace, full of your mercy, to leave with rest, right? To leave with rest. So go to the Lord's table. As you feel led at home, you can do that. Uh, as you feel led, we're going to take communion together. If you want to give and be a part uh, the new, of New City with generosity, you can give in the back, the boxes in the back, give online, give in the app. Lots of ways to participate in generosity. Let's stand together, sing. Let's give God glory and honor.